That's how we grow as human beings, by training and testing in a constant uh, yin and yang fashion. You know, we, we go out there and we work every day to get stronger and then we test ourselves. And the testing we call the crucible. That's where you, you put in different elements and, and then you heat it up <laughs> to a high degree and add pressure and then out the, other, out the other side comes, you know, something different. It's like alchemy. And that version of you will, be, uh, will have met aspects of yourself you've never seen before or maybe you didn't even know you had, both dark and light. A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery, and sometimes the misery, of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and the motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Hello, my friends. Today, my guest is Commander Mark Devine. I'm so pleased to welcome him back to the School for Good Living. In this conversation, we talk about his new book, Staring Down the Wolf, Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. Mark is someone that I have really come to respect and admire over the last few years. I think the work he's doing to help people be the best version of themselves to be effective leaders, to make a contribution to society is really magnificent. If you don't know Mark already, he's a New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and retired Navy SEAL officer. He's created an organization called SEAL Fit and one called Unbeatable Mind through which he's trained thousands, aspiring military special operators and business leaders. He is the founder and CEO of Courage Foundation, where his team helps veterans who are dealing with post-traumatic stress. Mark has authored many books, Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, Unbeatable Mind, The Way of the Seal, and Kokoro Yoga. And he has his own podcast, which I find fantastic, The Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Part of what I love about Mark is that he doesn't just bring military metaphors into the business place, but he brings deep insight and a lot of heart. So... If you didn't catch my first episode with Mark, I invite you to go back and listen to that. But Mark was one of my early guests. And for that, Mark, I thank you for being an early guest and a returning guest. In this interview, I ask Mark to share with me his view of whether or not anyone can be an effective leader. Question I myself feel like I wrangled with for a lot of years. You might as well. I think Mark's answer might be valuable for you. With that, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Mark Devine. Mark, welcome back to the School for Good Living. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah. I, when I learned that your new book, Staring Down the Wolf, was coming out, I, w I was really looking forward to reading it. Um, I loved Way of the Seal. And it's interesting. I was reading this book in Hawaii. I finished The Way of the Seal in Hawaii. Right. So there's something about we this. We met in Hawaii. We met in Hawaii. Yeah, I wish I was in Hawaii right now. <laughs> uh, uh, me too. Yeah. yeah, good place to be. So there's a lot there. But let me jump right into this book. Um, 
Oh, and by the way, just in the sound check, I want to acknowledge this because Dallin, our producer, asked what you had for breakfast and you responded that you had a smoothie, where in our last interview, I think you were just coming off a 60-hour fast. That's right. So I'm glad to know that you're getting some sustenance now. But tell me, if you will, please, why did you write this book? Who did you write it for? What did you want it to do for them? Well, I wrote that book for all leaders who's... Um, are willing to acknowledge that leadership is freaking hard work. And all the leadership books that I've read are kind of happy, glad, just go do this, kick ass, take names, and, you know, everything will work out fine because leadership is really about a bunch of strategies and tactics. All the strategies and tactics that I've tried have only succeeded if I've shown up as a whole human being. And, and showing up whole and not um, bringing your shadow and your biases and, and your, um, your fears into the workplace or into relationship is hard work, capital H, hard work. And so the reference for Staring Down the Wolf is Staring Down Your Wolf of Fear, which I um, bucket fear into the fear bucket. I put your emotional shadow, childhood trauma, biases, you know, ruts, reactionary conditioning, and Every leader has it. I don't care how successful they think they are. They are, um, have more potential, the ability to unlock massive potential in their team if they could work on that emotional side. So it really is about emotionally, emotional development for leaders, becoming more emotionally aware as well as whole, which is my term for dealing with your past stuff. Like Ken Wilber would say, we've got to, wake up, grow up, and clean up our emotional past in order to show up fully for our team. So that's what it's about. It's, it's, it's basically for all leaders who want to show up fully and do the work of staring down their fear so that they can unlock the massive potential that lies within their team, which is largely untapped in our world because yeah. teams are, are so transactional and so task-oriented that they're not able to really use the work environment for the massive growth potential that exists within that space yeah. and that time. I love that view. And I remember when I was at the, in university that we started a class and the professor asked, why do businesses exist? <laughs> and of course, the typical answer is to provide income and, you know, make profit and, you know, serve people and those kinds of things that are maybe the obvious or immediate answers. And as the conversation progressed, the professor ended up suggesting that, yes, all of those were true, but also because in teams, you know, in companies or teams, we can do things we just can't do alone. That's right. Right. And, and that's part of what I love about your book is that it's not just a business book. It's not just a personal growth book, but it's also really recognizing and honoring, you know, that team element. And for us to be our best and, and show up gives us the best chance to lead that team. Tell me, right. if you will, about how you've structured it, because there's seven different sections, right, mm -hmm. or chapters. How, do you th how have you structured it, and why does that matter to the book? First off, it's kind of interesting to know, because I know that you have a lot of writers who listen to your podcast, authors, that in this particular book, and all my books now, but I, I wouldn't say that this was true maybe for the first couple, but I spend a long period of time before ever putting pen to paper or fingertip to keyboard <laughs> in this instance, uh, meditating on it and asking, you know, what is this book 
really about what, what needs to come out. And at the end of one of my meditation sessions, I had kind of a download of these, uh, these principles. And they were in the order, essentially. I think on one of them, maybe one of the latter ones, was swapped. And after reflection, I was able to reorganize them. But these seven principles, and um, it, it hit me strongly that these are commitments, right? Because you can call it a principle, and that is interesting and doesn't have any call to action to it right? Mm -hmm. So these aren't just principles. They're not just big ideas. They are a commitment mm -hmm. to action. And that action is to do the work to develop that principle. So I call them the seven commitments. And they're commitments that will unlock the what, 20 times or massive potential of your team. Mm -hmm. But someone's got to lead that team. And so in order for the, you know, the team to uh, experience the full benefit of these commitments, then the leader must also commit to these principles or these um, actions mm -hmm. so that together everyone achieves more, so that the leader isn't the limiting factor in the team, and that the team with the leader becomes a vehicle for accelerated growth, or what I call in the book vertical growth, which is the growth of the character of the team. Now, these commitments have both a positive and a negative quality to them, right? The positive quality is the aspect of that commitment. Uh, like, for instance, the first commitment is courage. The positive quality of courage is courageous behavior. Mm -hmm. The negative quality of courage is cowardice or lack of courageous behavior. And what stands between courageous behavior and cowardice or something less than courageous behavior is fear. So in order to commit to courage, we've got to stare down certain aspects of fear that are going to hold us back from courageous behavior. Fear of risk, for instance, of, of risking a failure, of risking um, life, risking loss. So I have both this kind of, I have this yin and yang kind of aspect of looking at these commitments. The commitments are that, they're, they're a commitment to work and to, you know, and to uncover what's holding you back from, on the, you know, from committing or from fulfilling that, mm -hmm. that principle, let's say, for courage, as well as nourishing and cultivating the actual behaviors that lead to courage. Now, that's one aspect. So it's got this yin-yang, this kind of light and darkness, looking at both aspects of it, which is unique, I think. Yeah, I, second, I like that you, sorry to jump sorry, in there, no, but no, no. I love that you, that you acknowledge that, by the way, that every, first of all, I love that you say they're commitments, right? right. They're commitments to action because I know many management, leadership, personal growth books are a bunch of theory. Right. But you're acknowledging already, hey, this is a commitment. It's a commitment to action. And then what I love is that you're ad ad acknowledging that there's, you know, basically like a, a light side and a dark side or an up upside and downside, you right. know, to and these things all, to be prepared for that. Every human being has to dance with both the light and the dark. And I, my experience anyways with leadership theory and leadership stuff, writers and books is that, you know, they only, they only focus on the light and there's a lot of pretending that the author has it wired. Yeah. And you and I know that's not true. Yeah. And in fact, in the book, I use the exemplars of the positive qualities of those principles. And the principles are courage, trust, respect, 
growth, excellence, resiliency, and alignment. And we can go back in why I ordered them that way. There is a, you know, synchronicity to how they're stacked or they unfold in a holarchical manner, let's just say. It's not linear necessarily, but transcending and including each other. But um, I have the, these exemplars who are like these very, very highly evolved special operations leaders like Admiral McRaven and Admiral Olson and Marcus Luttrell and, and use their stories to really show the behavior when, it's, when the individual has fully committed to it. I'm not to say that these individuals are perfect by any stretch of imagination, but in this particular actions or through their actions that I observed or through um, the lore in the special ops community, they were exemplars of that wow. particular um, that particular commitment. And then I use my own experience leading in the business world as an entrepreneur and an organizational leader for the shadow, the dark, the, you know, the, the overcoming the fear part. Cause I, you know, I fell on my face so many times and it's taken me years to be able to deploy and to live these values with and through my team. And so that's why it, I know from firsthand it's hard work. It's, it's, yeah. It was way harder, is and was way harder for me to build an elite team in the civilian world than it ever was in the Navy SEALs. And that might surprise a lot of people. Why do you think that is? Well, I know it is because the SEALs have this um, incredible history of attracting, selecting, training, and acculturating, if that's a word, high quality, you know, leaders yeah and if you're not in fact buds nine months of buds is basically a team selection program you know if you don't, if you're not going to be a good teammate if you don't adhere to the values of the organization and if you don't you know care to work on yourself in those seven commitments and others then you're just disinvited yeah. <laughs> either yeah. through your own quitting or through you getting dropped from the program so that's one aspect is basically everyone on the team is very homogeneous or homogeneous in the sense that they're super disciplined, they're yeah. super courageous, there's a high level of trust, there's a high degree of respect amongst all the individuals. doesn't mean everyone likes each other, it's just respect each other. Yeah. The organization is already structured for growth because it has a tremendous amount of variety of experience, a tremendous amount of mentoring that goes on, and um, a tremendous amount of uh, brutally honest conversations that occur every day so that you're forced to face your weaknesses and to overcome them. Else, once again, you're disinvited from the team. Yeah, that's and a nice the, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, so that if you look at the I, the we, and the it, or the three spheres is what you know, how we call that in Unbeatable Mind, the I of each of the team players is strong, confident, mission-focused. The culture or the we is indomitable right? We have this, we and the SEAL teams have this attitude that you can't, you can't break us and we will win. We will find a way or make a way. And those, and it's like culture that a lot of people try to tap into when they find things like SEAL fit or, you know, my book, the way of the SEAL or read Jocko's books and stuff like that. And then the organizational structure, this is the hard part. And you, you know, you've been in and built organizations. It's, you know, how do you build a structure that actually fosters accelerated growth accelerated learning and a, an elite team mindset. It's, that's hard work because yeah. right? most structures actually shut all that down. So the SEALs yeah. have done a really good job over the past 70 or 80 years in doing all that. And so that when you show up as a new leader, let's say Ensign Divine shows up as SEAL Team 3, 90% of the work is done for you. 
Yeah. All you got to do is not screw it up. <laughs> yeah. So, but when I got out of the SEAL teams and started the Coronado Brewing Company, you know, I had a blank slate there as an entrepreneur. And all entrepreneurs listening to this know what, exactly what I'm talking about. It's a blank slate. You have zero to work with. Every yeah. day you get up, you got you to gotta figure out what is this, what is the structure of my day even going to look like? Yep. And um, how am I going to structure this organization and how am I going to create this culture and how am I going to show up? Um, and, and you're dealing with individuals then who are all different stages of development, all different levels of commitment and all different levels of discipline and awareness. It's about the least homogenous you can imagine. Yep. And, and we actually value that diversity. But the re reality is that that kind of diversity, the diversity of lived human experience and viewpoints and worldviews and ego development and um, mindfulness is really hard to lead right through and yeah. with yeah and so how do you how do you work and develop a team who's really you know a bunch of cats and dogs who have zero in common for the most part except that they've decided to join your team most of them because they just need a paycheck and you know how do you really work with that to unlock that elite potential it is possible yeah. it's definitely possible but it's going to take some time you have to be patient and you have to show up every day and, and do the work as a leader. And you have to be courageous to bring these ideas and this growth potential to the team. And when it happens, when you do this, man, the results not only show through in terms of growth of the organization and mission, you know, the understanding of the big mission that you can have and the impact you can have in the world. You know, like we talked about in the chapter on alignment. And when I had the conversation with Damian Mander about his mission to transform conservation in Africa and em empower women and to redevelop the local economies, like, wow, that, that's, a, that's an elite level staring down the wolf kind of individual who's brought, has built some elite teams, right? Yeah. And doing it in a very different way. So your sense of purpose transforms, your, your insight about how you can impact the world transforms. And then your workplace, the organization, and the culture itself become transformative instead of transactional. And you, yeah. you're excited to go to work. You're excited to work with this team that's going to, you know, has this worthy mission that we all agree to and we're all aligned around. And every day we're showing up committed to courageously leaning into our relationships so that we can, you know, continue to develop more trust and respect. And the organization itself becomes a vehicle for growth. You're not just going to work and then you know, maybe going to the gym and then going home and all these things are all separate. Now you're, you're growing, you wake up, yeah. you do the work at home, then you go to work and you grow through and with your team by, you know, adopting certain practices and training and an attitude, right? And everything, you know, becomes a growth mindset, um, potential. And then when you start growing like that, you, you just naturally get committed to excellence, right? Because you, you have a much your uh, focus becomes, how do I show up today and bring my best game? And then you get really innovative. You're making better decisions. So that idea of excellence starts to really unfold. And then you do this day in and day out and expect the obstacles to come and just figure out, you know, how do I navigate these obstacles? You know, find my way to victory on the other side of the obstacle. And that brings great resiliency. And then we communicate relentlessly and we um, share everything that we can that's appropriate to share. And I mean, sharing our leadership roles so the leader doesn't have to, you know, be 
all on all the time. The leader shares. He gets out of the way, lets other people lead, lets other people grow in their uh, leadership capacity. And um, sharing risk, sharing experience, always asking, you know, what went well, what didn't go well. If it didn't go well, what can we do better? Yeah. What are the opportunities? What are the threats? Every day, asking those things. Am I focused on the right thing today that's going to be move us closer to our mission uh, targets? Yeah, I, so I that's, love that's I, I love the way that you laid lay that out both now and in in your books. And I love in this one that you do choose to share from your own experience on some of that shadow side. That's pretty, I think that is pretty courageous. And I think that's really valuable. You know, I know it's valuable to me. And this idea that, you know, leadership in some ways, there is a bunch of theory, but there is the opportunity to make it very practical that Mm -hmm. each of us has the opportunity to do. One thing I'd love to get your take on is, can anyone be a leader? Can anyone be an effective leader? I think, yes. Um, I think everyone needs to be a leader because the first person you need to lead is yourself. When it comes to living in this world, we're always in a relationship, regardless if there's another human being around us. Right. Because the first, first relationship is with ourself. And maybe yeah. there's even two relationships, you with your creator and you with yourself yeah. or your concept of your creator or higher power or however, you know, uh, any one of your listeners or even you would, would construct that idea. So there's actually three, you know, two other relationships and you. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, you, you lead that, right? You lead that and you lead that by um, becoming really self-aware mm-hmm. and um, curating the quality of your thoughts and your emotions so that you're going to show up with the right, you know, intentions and the right attention and the right, you know, bringing your, your whole self, meaning alignment of physical and mental and emotional and spiritual qualities into your other relationships, mm-hmm. right? Which will then be first your family. And so everybody has a leadership role in their family, right? You, everyone, you know, people think, oh, it's only the mother and father that are in a leadership role. No, you know, mm-hmm. wife has to lead the husband sometimes, husband has to lead the wife. The wife and the husband together lead the children. The wife leads the children. The husband leads the children. Sometimes the children lead the parents. Sometimes the children lead an individual parent, right? Sometimes the dog leads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very dynamic scenario situation when you, when you look at that from that perspective. So we lead ourselves first, then we lead our families, and then we take it out into our broader tribe, which for most people is a work-related tribe. And so... Again, using this philosophy, even if you're not the appointed leader or the founder of the company or, you know, a department head, you're still leading, right? You're leading others in how you show up. You're leading others in your positive attitude, right? You, You might be the lowest on the hierarchical totem pole, but the strongest leader in the organization. If you show up every day with that smile on your face, with positive energy, offering uh, help and, and, and in service and you've taken your eyes off yourself and you put them on your team and guess what you are the de facto you know emotional and spiritual leader of that organization someone yeah. else is going to be the tactical leader or the strategic leader yeah and, i i've seen I, I definitely i love what you're saying here because i've seen you know this in my own life where you know especially early in my career where i had a promotion and i had the title 
but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean people actually lead or necessarily lead. And another research I've seen that will show people who are in a role of leadership, people who are not, but when researchers map connections to those people, you've probably seen some of this as well, that many people will go to others for help or for advice or information, especially when they're not a leader. But if you kind of, if you could see with, you know, something more than your eyes, perhaps you could you more easily see, you know, it's not the title that makes you a leader. And, and I love what you're saying about anyone can be, and we all have the chance or maybe the responsibility at different times. It's empowering. Yeah. Well, okay. So thank, thank you for that perspective. I think I have just four questions left for you with the time we have wow, left that's it. T- okay. together today. Yeah. I would talk to you all afternoon, especially given <laughs> the circumstances today, but I know we both got other commitments that we're going to move to. So let me, let me ask you this. Let me jump to an abbreviated enlightening lightning round for those who haven't heard our first interview. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that. That's a long, it's a two hours. We cover all kinds of great things. In fact, Mark, just this morning, I facilitated a mindfulness group and I shared the three minute part of where you talk about intuition and about the Mm -hmm. time intuition saved your life on a range, you know, Mm -hmm. so especially for people who want to cultivate their intuition or just hear some really incredible stories. You tell a lot of amazing stories in that. Please go listen to that interview. But so I've added a few questions to the lightning lightning round since we last talked. Love to get your view on. I think listeners would love to hear as well. The first one is this, Peter Thiel's famous question, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not usually in the position where people are in disagreement with me. Maybe that's my codependent nature. So I'm thinking, you know, what's an important truth that I align with that not everyone else aligns with? Okay. That sounds good. So my important truth is that everything we do, we have a co-created responsibility for. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens to us without us impacting how it happens. Because my experience of this, let me just use an example. My experience of this podcast is constructed in my mind. Your experience from your perspective is constructed in your mind and the listener's experience is constructed in their minds. Yeah. So we all have a co-creative role in what is happening right now. Yeah. Whether you're listening to this later or listening to it, you know, or our experience in this you know, live moment. Mm-hmm. So the nature of my mind will have a dramatic impact on how this goes. And this is fairly obvious, but when you, start, when you begin to acknowledge the ramifications of this thought, it is utterly profound. My life is co-created, but I have a big hand in that creation. Yeah. And so that's a truth that I have taken that has given me a lot of um, motivation and responsibility to make sure that my mind isn't co-creating negativity or co-creating destructive qualities in the relationships and in the world that I, in my field of interactions, right? Yeah, I, I could see why not many people, I mean, I, I align with you on that thought. 
Yeah. Sometimes I wish it wasn't true because it's so much easier just to complain or blame. <laughs> it's so much easier just to be the like a billiard ball getting bounced around in the world, but no. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, number four. Last time I asked you, what book other than you, your own have you gifted or recommended most often? And I know at the time, then and probably still now, you mentioned Think and Grow Rich. What I want to ask now is what are you currently reading or what have you recently finished that made a difference for you? I reread the Bhagavad Gita last year and really just wanted to, um, you know, ground back into that amazing uh, work. Do you remember the translation you read? Ah, man. I, I know there's so many hundreds. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. But I love the, um, there's just so much that speaks to me, you know, Arjuna being a warrior who's yeah. struggling, right? And I deal with a lot of warriors and I am a warrior and I know there's a lot of people struggling, you know, when they get out of the military uh, with their sense of purpose because they found purpose as a warrior and now they're done, right? Yeah. They think they're done. And how Arjuna is ta- having a, a, a relationship with, you know, Krishna who represents God. And, and God basically tells him, you have to fight this battle, even though it's against your cousins, because it's your duty. It's your calling. And if you don't do this, you will have major regret, regrets in your life. And you'll accrue some negative, you know, karma, right? There'll be negative ramifications if you don't fulfill your duty and it's hard yes it's hard and you might die but you got to do this and so he helps arjuna see that or helps us all see that if we don't align with our calling and then create a mission around it that is our duty that we show up every day and we go fight we put our armor on we go fight for what's right in alignment with our duty which is our calling, then we will, we're leaving most of our energy, most of our spirit on the table, and we're, um, we're just getting by, and that there will be consequences for that. But it's your choice. Yeah. Right? It is, it's your choice. And a lot of people choose to just get by. A lot of people choose to just earn money or just get a job. And a lot of my, most of my work with our clients at Unbeatable Mind is to help them understand who they really are and what they're really supposed to do with their life and then to give them the tools to go align with that and to um, make sure that they're not leaving this world with with regrets yeah that, that's so powerful you know because so many people as we know on this planet every day die from whatever right. old age crime accident disease whatever and that some number of those are leaving with regret or anger or disappointment or frustration or whatever. And when, when we stand back and think about it, that they don't need to, that at some level it's a choice if they haven't made the choice, but your work to help people realize who they really are, why they're really here. What a gift. Yeah. That's awesome. One of my previous podcast guests, Stephen post, he suggests that most of us live two lives. We live the life before we discover that, Mm -hmm. you know, this full of mistakes and regret. And then we live a life based on the lessons we learned from that. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting distinction to say, which life am I living? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. So, okay, cool. Well, 
two things I want to say. One is thank you for your time today. You're welcome. As an expression of gratitude, I've done two things. I've gone on Kiva.org. I've made a hundred dollar micro loan to an entrepreneur named Rosemary awesome. who will use this money to purchase condiments and soft drinks and grocery items. And she's in the Philippines. The other thing I've done is I've made a hundred dollar donation to the Courage Foundation. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, so that's I our foundation to help veterans uh, suffering from post-traumatic stress and to um, eradicate the suicide that's happening amongst that population. So thank you for doing that. And any listener is inspired by Brian's action. The website is feedcourage.org. And we encourage you to get involved if you can. It's a really important mission. Really important. I know in previous years you've done challenges around burpees <laughs> that co we're still working donations. off those 22 million burpees right off, we're, we're right around 20 million we've got 2 million burpees left and so we'll we're hopefully get those done this year I, i'm doing 50,000 this year myself that's incredible and a lot of people are joining me and we'll do something around veterans day around that maybe that's you can jump so in and do some burpees yeah. with us i would love to i would love to and before we were recording i mentioned that i signed up to do i think you call it kokoro camp yeah, we, we pronounce it Kokoro, but I think you're probably, your, your pronunciation is technically more accurate. It's just we started calling it Kokoro. Kokoro, <laughs> the, the American Kokoro. pronunciation, which is totally legitimate. I, yeah, I know yeah. you spent time in Japan and been trained by a master. I lived there for a year, so it's, but I'm going to go with Kokoro. It's your product, your camp. But will you tell anybody <laughs> listening, what, what insanity have I just committed to? <laughs> you, you have committed to one of the most sane things you could have committed to, Brian to train yourself to the highest levels possible given your structure your age your capabilities and then to test yourself in one of the most severe schools on the planet if not the most severe schools and that's how that's how we grow as human beings by testing by training and testing in a constant uh, yin and yang fashion you know we we go out there and we work every day to get stronger and then we test ourselves and the testing we call it a crucible right that's where you you put in different elements and, and then you heat it up <laughs> to a high degree and add pressure and then out the other out the other side comes you know something different it's like alchemy so you know the brian miller that that's working right now to train for kokoro camp will be different than the brian miller that shows up at kokoro camp but then the crucible experience of those 50 hours of non-stop physical mental emotional spiritual team training will be transformative and life this is another one of those moments where life will be different after Kokoro camp there'll be a new version of Brian Miller showing up and that version of you will be uh, will have met aspects of yourself you've never seen before or maybe you didn't even know you had both dark and light you will be a phenomenal teammate in ways you didn't understand and you will need support in ways that you didn't anticipate so that's why we hold the program we've done it since 2006 we've had thousands and thousands of people go through it but it's demanding, right? It, it's not for the faint of heart. You really have to talk about commitment and courage. You got to commit to courage and, and go all in. Just so hearing... you, you have signed up for something extraordinary, but it's not easy. But hey, we didn't say it would be easy. I just said it'd be worth it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And hearing you talk about it now, Mark, the butterflies have come back <laughs> for me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> when I signed up for it on, on the Sunday a few weeks back, I got some butterflies because I understand for one thing, the pass rate, like people who actually complete the whole thing is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50%. It, it varies depending upon the class. Uh, we've had it down as low as 10 or 15% and we've had it up to 60, 
70%, you know, it really depends upon how the team gels and provides support. So, you know, consider that you're going in this to be an incredible teammate. The, be the best value of this program is to get ourselves out of our I-ness and into the we-ness and to lock that in forever. So you don't ever consider yourself alone in the world. You don't ever lead with the ego. You lead with the heart and you lead with the, uh, you know, with we're in this together. How do, you know, how do I help you solve your problem? And I know, in, and if you've got your eyes on your team, then your team's got their eyes on you. And, and so depending, let's say you have a team of eight or 10 people in your organization or you know, that you work with, you got eight or 10 people watching your back. Yeah. So you want, we want people to learn that, but it's uncomfortable and you have to get uncomfortable to, to become uncommon. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's part of what I love about your work, Mark, is this orientation, you know, around courage, you know, the French, I'm not telling you anything new, but, you know, origin there of heart, Kokoro, mm -hmm. Japanese, heart, heart. mind, yeah. depending how yeah. you translate. Um, just, I really appreciate your message, the chance to talk with you today, the work you're doing, you know, for me, for, for others. I'm so grateful to know that you're here. And I was thinking about this too, by the way, I just want to voice this, that, you know, the freedoms and privileges that I enjoy as a citizen of this country, uh, I'm really grateful for. And I know, although I've never uh, entered combat or even, you know, the military, I know people have, many, many people have died and fought and bled on my behalf and my family and all of us. And, and that you're one of them. And I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you, Brian. I'll accept that on behalf of all serving military members yeah, who are thanks. out there on the front lines. Yeah. We don't need it, but it's nice to hear. Yeah. Well, it's made a difference for me. Okay. With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up before we do the last thing. I know we're just over time. I just want to be sure if people want to connect with you, that they know the best way or the way you'd suggest they do some social media handles, websites, anything. Sure. My personal website, which is kind of a collection of all that I do <laughs> and what I stand for is Mark divine D I V I N E.com. Uh, Instagram is real Mark divine or at real Mark divine. Um, the, the Kokoro camp and seal fit training is at sealfit.com, All one word. And then our leadership development program where, Leaders and teams are learning to stare down their wolves and to develop elite team capability. That's unbeatable mind, unbeatablemind.com. Mm. And uh, my books are available at Amazon or wherever great books are sold. And I really, really appreciate your support, Brian, and I, you know, the support of anyone who's listening. Yeah, and to awesome. stay focused in these VUCA times because there's great opportunity to improve ourselves, to grow stronger, to grow more courageous, to come together as a global population of humans who have similar issues. And when, you know, we're slapped in the face, you know, across the board, we can learn and grow from that and become stronger and better and more inclusive. Yeah. And um, so I think there's, I'm putting together what I call the crisis opportunity planning and execution model, <laughs> COPE. <laughs> That's a great acronym for that. But I consider every, you know, every crisis has a seed of an opportunity in it to both develop ourselves, get stronger, become more aware, become better teammates. And there's also an opportunity to examine what we're doing and how we're doing it and our alignment with our mission and purpose in the world. And, and a lot of people will come out of this with a whole different sense of what that means for them.
Yeah. But you got to pay attention. No doubt. Work. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you to everyone listening. Somewhere down the road, we'll connect again. And I'll yeah. look forward to that time. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate okay. you. Take thank care. You. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world, where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work, or people in the developing world who don't have access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education, or who live in conflict zones, there's a lot of people on the planet that life isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, I invite you to connect with me at goodliving.com. I've created Life's Best Practices Breakthrough Coaching to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated school, you're going through a divorce, you just got married, you're headed into retirement, you're starting a business, you just lost your job, whatever it is you're facing, I've developed a 36-week course that you go through with me and a community of achievers and seekers who are committed to improving their own lives and the lives of others. So through this online program, you will have the opportunity to go deep into every area of your life, explore life's big questions, create answers for yourself in community, get clarity and accountability. If that's something you're interested to learn about, I invite you to contact me directly at brian at brianmiller.com or by visiting goodliving.com.